You're listening to the Pimp Cron Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Pimpcron Warhammer podcast featuring yours truly, the Pimpcron, and I can guarantee you with 100% confidence this is the only place that you can find a Warhammer podcast that features Pimpcron in the title. Now you can fact check it all day and I assure you will find no other podcast with my name in the title. And subsequently, there is no other Warhammer podcast that will get you this hot and bothered. So... That Now that we've gotten into some weird territory here and everybody is thoroughly uncomfortable, we have a lot to cover tonight. We are going to talk about the email I got from a, what's this, patron, a pimp cronian named Grendel, and his message to me is asking stuff about things, and I'm going to respond to that. There's no point for me to tell you what it is right now. Then I have a segment with Loremaster Alex talking about the Tooth and Claw box set. I started out thinking one way about it, and then I flip-flopped, and now I think another way about that. I guess you'll have to find out which side I was on with that. I have a good segment there with Loremaster Alex, and I also have a here's an idea way to balance kill points games, because I absolutely abhor uh, kill points games, and... I think this is a pretty fair way. It's the way we do it for our Shorehammer tournaments, and uh, I hope you like it too. And after that, we have a real talk with the Pimpcron, and I am discussing noob armies. It's part one of a two-part series, discussing which armies are ranked with grade letters, and I don't know what other countries do, but we have A being the best, A, B, C, D, and F. I don't know why it skips E. I have no idea. But, um, so an A through F uh, grading system of which armies are best for new players. And that takes into consideration budget, model count, um, complexity of playing them, and whatnot. So that will be this episode, and next is the overview of which armies are best for noobs. And finally, we always have the Let's Get Brutal with the Pimpcron discussing my free rules, use your own models, RPG light skirmish war game called Brutality Skirmish War Game. And that is just my my uh, my game that I've developed over several years, and it is near and dear to me. I love talking about it. So, I think it's time that uh, we get into this episode because it is nearly an hour long. It might actually be over an hour long. Who knows? But I appreciate you all listening, and I think it is about time to do the thing. Let's open the Tesseract mailbox. Hello, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen. This is another edition of the Tesseract mailbox with the Pemcron. And today we have a letter from a... What's this? A patron? Why, this, I do believe, is a Pemcronian named Grendel. And Grendel has emailed me at pimpcron at gmail.com. And he wanted to chime in on something. He says, Hey Pimpcron, Grendel here. I was wondering what your take is on the upcoming Orc box set Speed Freaks. Also, what do you think the Orc Codex needs to be a viable, competitive codex? Love the podcast. Keep on pimping, Grendel. First of all, Grendel, I am going to uh, kiss a piece of paper, fold it up, and mail it to you, whatever your address is. And I truly appreciate you being a supporter of the show. And we've got some really cool new uh, rewards that we have in the works that we will be adding to the uh, the patron uh, reward list, I guess you call it. And uh, anyway, I just really appreciate your support, and thank you for writing in. So what is my take on the Speed Freaks box set? I don't really have a take on it, really. I mean, I so I've sold the two new models, the only two that I'm aware of they've released for it, and they look pretty sweet. The first one is uh, like a dune buggy with a grot strapped to the grill. They've got a guy throwing a Molotov cocktail in the back and another guy that's sticking out the side with a Molotov cocktail. They've got a, uh, a turret with like a Gatling gun on top. And that is just a super sweet looking model. 
and I can only assume they're going to port this over to the Orc Codex because that's usually what they do, you know, like Death Watch Overkill and um, some of the other, you know, box sets. They always are smart enough, which is something they did not used to do, you should keep in mind, that um, they're smart enough if they're going to take the time to make the model and put it in a box, then they're also smart enough to actually put it in the game. In the past, we've had some things that um, were ported over to 40K as like an after afterthought through White Dwarf or whatever. They would give them actual 40K rules. And uh, but so hopefully right out of the gate, they're going to do this and put this in the Orc Codex. I don't exactly know what the rules for this Dune buggy is, but it looks extremely sweet. And I absolutely want one. Uh, I don't actually own any of the current. Uh, I guess they're called buggies. I really can't remember what they're called. The um, the Scorcha and the whatever else it's called. I don't know. And I, uh, I don't really own any of those because of their pretty terrible models and they don't do anything for me. So if any of these are an actual, you know, uh, reprinting of it in like a new revised manner, that would be pretty awesome. Kind of like they did with just the, uh, the black coach recently, you know, it's an, it's an old unit supposedly, but it's actually a brand new unit and they've upped the stats to match what the model looks like and all of that. And, uh, so this dune buggy is just awesome looking now on the flip side, this new, it's like a trike, this new trike uh, with a knob with a, look, looks like a power claw on it, um, is also really, really cool looking. So I'm really hoping that maybe we're looking at a new version of the dune buggies or the uh, scorches or whatever here. But um, anyway, so these models look really awesome. I don't really know of much information that's actually out over the Speed Week. Sp speed Week. <laughs> that's something on ESPN. No, I'm talking about Speed Freak box set. And, um... I don't know. I do look forward to it. I'm not going to buy the board game. I have no interest in that. But then again, you know what I did do? I bought about, I don't know, four Death Watch Overkill boxes before they were actually, before Gene Steeler Cult was actually an army. Uh, I had made my own rules for them. And then when, I, so I had like a custom army codex I had made. And they, uh, I, I bought a ton of the Death Watch Overkill boxes and split them because I don't play Death Watch. So uh, Just James does play Death Watch, so I know he split a couple of those boxes with me. But uh, So I am not above uh, buying a box set, you know, like a board game for the models if the models are cool and that's the only place you can get them temporarily. So um, that's all I have to say about the Speed Freaks because I don't, there really is not much information. They were leaked back in like July or August, some pictures and some, you know, whatnot, but I can't find anything now on it. So I can only hope they've got some pretty cool models like the two they've already leaked and that they will be added to the Orc Codex. As far as making the Orc Codex competitive and useful in a competitive setting, I I have to preface it by saying I am not the best person to ask about competitive scene. I like to think of myself as quite strategic and tactical, but list building is actually one of my weaknesses because I just hate to spam stuff. And I always go, oh, I haven't used this unit in a while, and I'll throw that in the list. Or, hey, I really love Defcoptas, regardless of how terrible they are. And I throw them in a unit, or in a, in a list. So, you know, obviously I, I changed my perspective a bit for an actual tournament, but I, I play so few actual tournaments. They're just really not my thing. I'm more of a casual fluff player. But that being said, I do have a couple issues with the Orc Index, and I'm assuming they're going to fix them when the Codex comes out. Number one, I have just mentioned, if you were listening, which hopefully you were because I'm in your ear currently, that I love Defcoptas. I own 12 or 15 painted Defcoptas, and I just love them. I have probably 10 more unpainted in a drawer in my uh, storage area. So I just love Defcoptas. I've always loved them, even when they were good, even when they were bad, yada, yada. I mean, I don't think they've ever been good, but they, they've, they've been decent at times. Currently, they are hot garbage, in my opinion. I have tried and tried and tried to make my Defcoptas work. And for their points, they just don't work. So I am definitely looking forward to seeing a, uh, a points reduction on Defcoptas. Because it's just, it's nuts. Um, so that would be my very first suggestion, is to make Defcoptas great again. 
Oh, some of you just cringed, didn't you? Uh, <laughs> and uh, I like to throw that in there whenever I can just to get a, a rise out of people, whether it's like a, yeah, or it's a, oh, God. I don't know. But um, anyway, so the other thing, I think, honestly, I think boys are fine. I don't think boys have any issue whatsoever. They get in freaking four attacks or something apiece. I mean, and they automatically have what they used to have Furious Charge, you know, would give them plus one strength on the charge. Now they're just straight strength four all the time. So they they get like base two attacks and then one for 20 or more models and then one more for their Slugga Choppa or whatever. And uh, Orc Boys, I don't think, need to be touched at all. I really like the bikers as well. The um, the, the biker boys are really good. I do have kind of an issue with the biker knobs. I feel like they're over-costed for what they are. and um, I, But then again, I've always had an issue with the biker knobs. So I don't really see that as a difference. I've never really thought they were that great. Um, you know what I would love to see, though, is I have always loved knobs. And I've never been a huge like Green Tide kind of guy. I, I only own 30 painted boys, like legitimately. I have probably... 60 grots or something in different various stages of paint being painted but the boys i just you know I'll, I'll bring two squads of 15 or whatever and i just don't do that much but you know what i do own a lot of is knobs and i have about 40 painted knobs which is a lot for knobs and in previous editions a war boss in uh what was it a war boss maybe it was just a war boss would make them troops I'm pretty sure, or a war boss on a bike, or a war boss in mega armor. I don't know. I, I'm getting too old for this. I so many editions, so many codexes, so many years passed. But anyway, there was a way that knobs used to be able to be taken as troops, and that would be awesome if they were made troops again, uh, because I own so many of them. I generally find storm boys to be worthless. Because the bikes do everything the storm boys do, more or less, and they have more wounds and a better save. Storm boys with that six up save, man, I am just not a fan of that. And I don't really know how to make them better besides, you know, like the the easy way out is just a points reduction. Oh, I'll just reduce the points, which is what GW loves to do. But I don't really see that as that's that's definitely the easy way out. Oh, you think this unit sucks? Well, here's a points reduction. Um, so I don't really know. I really don't. Um, the way the Storm Boys are right now, I don't care for. I own 30 of them and just don't care for them. The uh, Morkonaut and Gorkonaut have always had issues. And I don't know that they're any better now. I, I uh, have a Morkonaut. And I, it does okay. It does good as a distraction. I honestly think a Morkonaut should be a super heavy. I really feel like it should be beefed up to be what an Imperial Knight is. Um, it's not quite knight size, but, you know, it doesn't have to have the exact same stats as a knight. But I thought when Morkonauts and Gorkonauts were coming out originally that they were going to be super heavies. And to come to find out, they haven't been. Um, I have some moderate success. All the weapons on the Morkonaut is hot garbage, and they're kind of not even worth using. I roll those dice just to, you know roll dice because you know on a five up to hit it's like oh well gee that's that's good odds here's my one five up to hit with the custom mega blaster or whatever it is so i think that they need to go in a slightly different direction i think they're okay generally and the grot the heavy heavy guns or whatever they're called the grot guns the batteries um I have never gotten into them, and the reason why is because those things are like 30 freaking dollars a piece, and they're just a couple wounds, and they do something. I mean, they're useful, but this is kind of stepping out of the game for me. This is a metagaming thing, that in the game, sure, they're useful. They're, they, they serve a purpose, they're somewhat durable, and they're very, very, very cheap for points, but that is exactly my issue with them is that they're so cheap for points. So I'm paying like $30, $30 for one of these batteries, and whether it's the bubble chucka or whatever, and they're what, like, I'm going to exaggerate, but they're like 15 points for one of these things. And I'm paying $30, like, and, and what do they come in units of three or six or something stupid? 
So yes, I'm just going to go ahead and remortgage my house for about 100 points worth of models. There's, there's no way. I I really, really think that the Grot uh, heavy guns, they, uh, they really, really need to either be beefed up wounds-wise, i.e. points-wise, or something else. Or get a price reduction in real life, which of course they're not going to do. But um, I love the models, and actually the units are not bad. But just the that outside of the game issue of so many dollars for so few points, that's eh, not up my alley. The Battle Wagon is always a go-to. It's great. The Orc uh, trucks are great. I have no issues with those at all. The Flyers have always suffered a bit for me. I have a um, I have one Orc Flyer and the Blitz Obama, I think it is, and the Eh, they're just, they're just kind of eh. I mean, they they're okay. They um they suffer, but see, then again, I think a lot of the flyers are kind of eh. They're just uh unremarkable, I guess would be the word for them. So, actually, come to think of it, there's a lot of stuff in the orc codex that's just unremarkable. It's not it's not terrible. It's I mean, I still win games with my orcs all the time. So I, I don't really have an issue with it. I know how to play orcs, and I really enjoy playing orcs. But some things, they're just not reliable enough for the money you spend on them or the points. Or, um, you know, they love to give orcs six-up saves. My god, they love six-up saves. And I have tried to love Ludas. I've just really, really tried to love Ludas. And the only time I would ever take Ludas in previous editions is when I could give them Feel No Pain with a Pain Boy. So at least they had a 5-up Feel No Pain. But now with these new additions, you know, things have changed with the Pain Boys, which also saddens me. Um, but, the, yeah, the Pain Boys are one thing I would say definitely need upgrading. So I'm sure I've ram rambled quite a bit about all this, but um, all my thoughts are all scattered. Well, they're just as chaotic as the Codex we're discussing. That's Let's put it that way. The Orc Codex should be coming out in October, I believe. That's what the rumors say. And I am quite excited about it. You know, I have a sneaky suspicion that the Orcs are going to be uh, Tyranid-level competitive. Like, quite... Or, or Guard. Quite, quite, quite competitive. Because, honestly, I think that the Orcs were one of the better indexes. And I've had no issues with them. They've, they've boosted the Orcs up quite a bit. And, you know, you've got your psychic powers, which are pretty good, like jump, everybody loves. And um, so I would say, let me just add one last thing. I would say that the biggest loser out of this entire codex would probably be the Defcoptas. And just for points. They're just, they're just not that great. And they get killed way too easy. What are they, four wounds or something? And so much, so many things have two damage or d6 damage or whatever. You can you can kill uh, Defcoptus so easy. So, Grendel, as always, I'm eternally grateful for you supporting the show and being uh, a uh, Pimpcronian. And I also really, really appreciate you writing in. I'm sorry if I rambled. I just had a lot to say and very little direction. <laughs> But anyway, I am going to keep on pimping Grendel, and you keep on listening and write in whenever you feel like it. As for the rest of you, pimpcron at gmail.com is where I get all of my fan mail. Of course, you could also contact me on my brutality page on Facebook, or you could also contact me at Facebook slash pimpcron, which is my uh, page that I troll commenters on on Facebook. And uh, I also post all my uh, articles each week on there and whatnot, too. I also post the new podcast episodes, but you're probably listening the, through this through a uh, podcast player. But whatevs. So thank you again, Grendel, and we will move on to the next segment. Want that or want that not? And welcome back. This is the segment of the show where the old pimp cron and occasionally a friend like my friend Loremaster Alex. Hey guys, how you doing? Is going to talk about, or we are going to talk about, however you say that. We we is going to talk about a want that or want that not type scenario, situation. And this week, what are we covering? 
we're covering the Tooth and Claw starter set for uh, Warhammer 40k. Uh-huh. Now, I'm actually pretty excited about this set because, and I know a lot of my friends are, because a lot of them are Space Wolf players. You don't have friends. Well, the ones in my head, at least. <laughs> I'm your friend, Loremaster. No, we're not. I'm just the guy who touches you while you sleep. It's true. Um, so, okay, these, these fictional friends, go ahead. They're, <laughs> they're excited. Why? Because they all play Space Wolves. Oh. And they've been complaining because the Space Wolves have been kind of left in the lurch with the new rule set. So I feel like with this new set coming out, the the FAQ stuff that's going to come with it is going to be a great boon for all the Space Wolf players out there. Well, the new codex is set to drop soon. Probably by the time they're hearing this, it will already be out. Yeah. Or it may be out now, I'm not certain. So... Um, so what is in this box? It is a small contingent of Gene Stealer Cult and a small contingent of Space Wolves. And we've got all kinds of things to talk about. So let's start with my favorite faction, one of my fa one of my favorite factions, Gene Stealer Cult. So we have, um, it comes with Gene Stealers, which is nothing special, nothing new. Um, it also comes with five, um, uh, Acolyte Hybrids which is also nothing yeah nothing new there um you can also make metamorphs out of them though so it still has a dual purpose oh okay um i'm assuming this is going to be full kits like a lot of times they do that yeah so you have all the options you know they just basically take the spur from the regular box and just throw it in the set yeah so you'll probably have that the acolyte icon ward is still the exact same um he's the static pose but what is really interesting about this set is that now the aberrants still have the picks and the hammers like they always have. So that's nothing special. But what is special about it, Mr. Alex? Well, they're all brand new poses, aren't they? Yeah. Yep. Um, so for <clears> the last couple years, two years, I guess, since um, uh, Death Watch Overkill, the board game came out. Yeah, they, they haven't really released any aberrant stuff. No, they don't sell boxes. You could boxes. only get them in the Death Watch box, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. And it only came with two poses for picks and two poses for hammers. So Which is kind of a bummer. Yeah, it is. But, I mean, with these new poses, I really like how they look. They they look like, you know, big hulking miners, you uh -huh. know, that, you know, uh, were polluted by the Gene Stealer cult. And, you know, they still maintain that bulkiness as they're mutating. Yeah. Um. Also, something I was really, this is kind of an aside and doesn't really belong in this segment of the show, but I'm going to put it in there anyway. Hmm. I'm happy that they got their five up, feel no pain back. Yeah. Which um, they were, this edition, the index version of it, didn't no, have no that. No pain. And it was bullshit. Yeah. It was like, oh, reduce all damage to one or something stupid. And that, it, a reduce to one damage does not a feel no pain of five up make. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I'm excited that they're actually getting this back. Well, I feel like that's a more fluffier, in my opinion, that they would have the feel no pain. Because these are guys, like I said, that are mining in dark tunnels where it's dangerous most likely. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and they have to build up a strong uh, immune system and a strong body in general just to kind of survive in that climate. It's true. I also really like like the, the Lenny character is what I've been calling him. The Lenny character? Yeah, the Aberrant character. Oh, oh, the Aberrant character. Okay, so... Um... Yeah, that's right. Uh, uh, Pimpcron has actually never read Mice and Men, so everybody throws shade at him about that. Um... <laughs> But literally, if you look at this aberrant hero, it literally looks like Lenny and George. Lenny and George. From Mice and Men. From Laverne and Shirley. Yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah. yeah, from Laverne and Shirley. Shut yeah, up. It's Squeaky and Lenny. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so if we're taking a look at this character, this is pretty exciting. I have not read any rules for him, so I don't know exactly what he does. Mm -hmm. But his face is kind of split into two. Yeah, like, like he's, he's trying to split like an amoeba. Yeah, that's yeah. what I was thinking too. He's trying to asexually reproduce with himself. Um, call that what you will. Yeah. But um, my first thing is, is like he's got two to three eyes somewhere in there. Yeah. Do you think that one tongue ever reaches over to the other tongue? <laughs> Just like on a lonely Saturday night. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's what the blind one's for. Oh, the... oh, the little blind one. Yeah. Oh, we we will assume that's not a child of some sort. No, that's George. That's George. <laughs> what was George? Was he a child or was no, he? No, George is uh, the one who's not like a ginormous mentally handicapped person in a mice and men. Oh, he was a regular adult human? Yes. Okay. And we'll Lenny was that. tall and, and dumb. We'll assume And wore there's... overalls, which is why this really kind of hits me home because if you look at the aberrant character, he's got overalls he's on. He's got overalls on. I love that. I don't know why. <laughs> 
<laughs> it just you know, makes it, me happy. It's he just... belongs on some sort of desolate gas station in the yeah. middle of like uh, Nevada. Yeah, you know, Jeez, like the Nevada planet. Yeah. yeah, like oh, you're having car trouble. That's gonna cost you. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> the hills have eyes. Gene Stealer yes. edition. <laughs> yes, and I love that both of his feet are shackled. Like yeah, like he was definitely the... working a chain gang. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the little guy next to him, he's got, I don't know if he's got any eyes at all, but he's got like a big scar down the middle of his face. And it looks like it's stapled together. Yeah. So it looks like maybe he he was wounded or something. Yeah. Um, I, I just, I'm interested to find out why he's in shackles. Like both of his legs are still. Which I'm kind of hoping that the fluff that's going to come with this might actually explain like what this character is. I'm what sure his story he's named is. character. Yeah, which I'm I think sure would be kind of cool because I definitely, being the lore master, I definitely want to know the lore about this model. But the overalls, you know, this really puts me at rest because at least I can know that in the far flung future where there is only Gene lore. Stealers actually steal corduroys. <laughs> I'm just happy that even though there is only war, there is still overalls. And still I was denim. really there is still denim. I was really worried about that. So um the these this is a pretty awesome model. I'm excited. I don't know why it never struck me. Like they've got Ogren character, you know, mm-hmm. Nor North Nord- Yeah. And um uh I never thought that they would do an aberrant character. I just never struck me. So I'm really excited that they did, and I'm yeah. wondering what he actually has to do. And I feel like this opens up a lot of doors for all the other factions. Like, some of the Dark uh, dark Eldar have, like, those weird, grotesque creatures that they make. Uh-huh. I would love, like, a named character one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, a named grotesque would be awesome. To lead your grotesques in the battle. Now let's talk about the Space Wolves, because they're not very flashy and cool. Like, there's nothing crazy in comparison to, like, the Aberrants, but... Uh-huh. I still feel like it's a good bargain to get the Tooth and Claw, because you were mentioning the price alone on some of the models that come with the Space Wolf section. Just two of those model sets pay for itself, if you think about it. Yeah, the um, the aggressors are like 50, 60 bucks for those three. Yeah. And then the Redemptor is like 60 bucks on its own. So that is right there, about 120 for out of a $150 box. Yeah, not to mention the five intercessors or the um, the Wolf Lord. The, yeah, the custom Wolf Lord. Or it could, I think it might be a Primaris like, lieutenant. It could be. Because I didn't if read you look, he's got, the, he's got the Primaris pattern bolter. Oh, yeah. He, yeah, I guess he wouldn't be a normal one. He would be. He would have to be Primaris. Which then is cool he'd be though. a dinky leader. Yeah, but it'd be cool though because he's a custom. He's a custom model, which is I think is kind of nifty. Mm-hmm. Custom headwork, custom armor, custom weapon. So as far as flashiness, like you said, these are kind of bland. There's not much Space Wolf stuff on it to make them Space Wolves, except for the raised shoulder. Yes, they, that's a nice touch. They actually do have a raised shoulder pad with the Space Wolf logo. Um, a couple of them have little trinkets, like the little wolf tail, rabbit's foot type thing. Yeah. Um, but not a whole lot. They're pretty pretty basic. Um, yeah. The aggressors at least do have um, new heads. It, it looks like one of them may be the sergeant from the other set, but the other two, the other two in the normal set, both have regular Space Marine helmets. Yeah. And these are all helmetless. All helmetless, yeah. And I don't see anything on the Redemptor that's new. Well, I will say this. It's a new transfer sheet, which has a lot of new decals, which I think is pretty nifty. Yeah. Um, if I remember correctly, the, the Space Wolves haven't had a new transfer sheet in a while. Yeah. Um, so it's nice to see them update that. And, I mean, it's still a Redemptor, which is a badass model. Yes. Yep. I mean, I wouldn't want to face down that son of a gun on the battlefield. Well, they draw a ton of fire. Yeah. The minute you have them on the board, everyone just ignores everything else and goes for the... Bring that big yeah. bitch down. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Um, they're pretty gross. Um, so that's basically it. As far as the Space Wolf side, it's a regular Redemptor. It's a, um, basically regular Aggressors, a slightly different. Yeah. Basically regular Intercessors, slightly different. And then a, what looks like a brand new Wolf Lord. Yeah. Um, or the wolf Primaris. Le- yeah, Primaris Wolf Lieutenant or whatever they want to call him. Yeah, whatever. I is. guarantee you the fluff that they put in the books will have some explanation as to who he is. Which again, honestly, Scott, I'm, I mean, Pimcron, uh-huh. I'm half tempted to go halves with you on this box. Um, you know, honestly, I wasn't excited at all about this box just hearing about it. But now that we've been looking through it, I probably want the whole box because oh. um, I have a Primaris army, which is Celestial Lions, and I can easily just rip off that Space Wolf shoulder pad and put Celestial Lions one on. Yeah. And the aggressors, I love aggressors, even though I don't think they're that great on the tabletop because I take Bolter Drill because they're Imperial Fist. 
Uh, if I could use the flamers, it'd be different, but it doesn't seem fluffy for the army. And um, well, I mean, you could just say that these guys use flamers. I mean, it's not that big a deal. No. No. <laughs> I will not bow to that. Nah, I mean, I just, you know, it, it's a real army with the real, I mean, they're, uh, um, okay, I'm getting on uh, on a off topic. But anyway, and the Redemptor is cool. I already have a Redemptor, but having another one would not hurt. Yeah, two Redemptors is better than one. Yeah, and I have a Gene Stealer called Army. Yeah. So, really, this box was kind of made for me. I'll just ignore that these are Space Wolves. Air quotes, Space Wolves. Yeah. Because they're barely Space Wolves. And you could easily, like, knock the fur stuff off the legs if you needed to with, like, a Dremel tool or... N knock the what? Like, the, the icons and stuff. Oh, yeah. yeah. You can easily remove those with a Dremel tool or an X-Acto knife. I'm wondering if these are one position, uh, a one pose, or if they're an actual kit. You Might know, be, like, like, an upgrade kit. It, it could be. I'm not certain. Um, but anyway, so would you want this or would you want this not, Mr. Alex? I would want this. Um, I haven't played Space Wolves in a very long time. As you know, I used to play Blood Angels and I switched to Guard. Uh huh. Well, um, I would definitely want this for sure. I had no interest in it. I did not want it. But now that I'm looking through it and seeing what kind of deal it is, I actually, need it. I actually want it. So. Yeah. I, I would say, yeah, I definitely would want it. So that is two thumbs up from Loremaster Alex and the Pimpcron. Now, here's an idea. And it's time for, well, here's an idea. And tonight I will be covering something that is near and dear to me. My hatred for kill points in a game. Now, anybody that knows me in real life will know that I'm always... At the beginning of every game, I'm like, hey, uh, what do you want to play? Not kill points. And I am a big objective person because I think objectives are so much more strategic and so much more, uh, I don't know, I mean, competitive in a way, but kill points just seems way too easy. Like, it's just point and click, and whoever can pick, come up with the cheesiest shit is the winner. And that's, you know, like people that sit back and just shoot all game. That those are the type of people that love kill points because I don't know it it rewards you for being cheesy and hyper competitive and um I don't know there's no real strategy to it you know it's it's kind of point and click in my opinion but if you are going to do kill points at least you should go about it in the fairest way possible and what I mean by that is is Kill points is inherently flawed because the way it normally is played is that you get one kill point for every unit you kill. Okay, so if you play Custodes and you have four units for the same points that I play Tyranids and have 12 units, that is not a balanced game. I don't know who you're talking to. I don't know who told you it was a balanced game, but it is not because you have 12 kill points that you potentially could give up while he only has a couple. So what you should do at the very least is make sure that before the game you decide that, hey, we're only going to have X amount of units if you can do that. But some armies are quite different, like I just said, in their point levels. And some armies just, I mean, ch go ahead and try to do 12 units of custodes in, you know, 1,000 points or 1,500. Like, you're just not going to do it. You could t take a bunch of HQs potentially, but you're not going to get 12 of them even in that case. So what I would suggest is make sure everyone's on the same footing and either make sure that you both are starting with the same number of units, which is not always possible, or you could give kill points for a certain percentage of points total killed. Does that make any sense? I'm not certain it does. What I mean is you could give one kill point for every 200 points of completely destroyed units. Now... That is much more fair because 200 points is 200 points and killing them is just killing them. It has no, you know, sure, you might be killing four units of gaunts for your 200 points or, or whatever. I'm not doing math here. This is not a math podcast. You will not make me do math. So I'm just spitballing numbers and information here. But um, you definitely should make sure you guys are on the same footing. So make it the same number of units per army or only count a certain number of completely killed units of, you know, as a percentage of the maximum, like I said. Every 200 points of completely destroyed units is a kill point. Or you could um, 
here's an idea not do it at all because I hate kill points did I mention that I don't recall if I mentioned that or not but um I don't know I just think that you know I don't like going into a game where I don't have a chance of winning period and kill points is just the just the worst it really is or maybe a variant that you could do would be you choose three units that you have to keep alive this game and the opponent gets a kill point for every one of those units that he kills um that could be interesting or you could mark the enemy units for death and say look i'm going to take out these three units one kill point each something of that nature because uh, it's just inherently is not fair and um I am not a competitive person. I don't mind, you know, losing games. I don't even get mad over losing games, but I at least want a fair chance. And I feel like kill points has the least amount of thought put into it versus, you know, tactically um, objectives. You have to be moving. You know, it gets people up and moving. If I'm Tau and I'm a fire line, I just want to sit back there and kill points allows me to just sit back there. But in the meantime, if I have to get up to the middle of the board or strategically place an objective in the beginning of the game, that adds a lot more thought and a lot more um, strategy to this game other than just point and click. Another idea would be that you could just make sure that both armies take, let's say, two or three HQs. And the whole point of the game is to kill those HQs, which of course in 40k is much harder than Age of Sigmar because 40k, they physically cannot be shot if there's, you know, a closer unit, whatever. Um, but Age of Sigmar is not quite like that. It's a, it's Age of Sigmar 2 is a little like that. But at least in 40k that you could actually negate people from... Uh, actually, in Age of Sigmar, you would probably want to treat it like 40k, where if there's a unit nearby, they can't be shot because that would make it a lot fairer. But... At least you need to define exactly what you want to do and not just come to the game already at a disadvantage because you play a different type of army than the other one. I mean, I would love to... Okay, you know, I used uh, uh, Custodes earlier, but what about Imperial Knights, for crying out loud? Oh, I have, you know, two kill points for your 12. And I'm, once again, math is not involved here. I'm just saying stuff. So these are my suggestions for actually making kill points worth doing at all. But honestly, don't do it anyway. Just play objectives. Hey everybody, it's the Pimpcron, and today I've got a product that you did not know that you could not live without. That's right. Becoming a patron on Patreon for the Pimpcron Warhammer podcast is everything you've ever wanted. We guarantee that it will clean up your spills, make your whites whiter, teach your dog tricks, and take you to the edge and even clean up afterwards. That's right, it's everything you could ever want in a product ever. Just go to patreon.com slash and pledge your allegiance to the almighty Kron today. Now it's time for Real Talk with Pimp Kron. Howdy folks. It's Real Talk with the Pimpcron, and today I'm discussing what armies are the best starter armies for new players. Now, in my opinion, 8th edition is probably one of the best editions for new players, and uh, it makes it very easy for them to pick up and play. Uh, you know, in the past we had these massive main rule books, and we had all these special rules and terrain rules and detachments and supplements and the list goes on and on and on god god forbid a new player even try to use the old psychic rules with all the buckets of dice and warp generations and all that bullshit i hated that from day one when that edition i forget it was sixth edition i think might have been seventh when that bullshit came out with the buckets of dice i was pissed off and everyone else was like, oh, it's fine. No, it really is not fine. And it was not fine from day one, and I was uh, never a fan of that. So what I'd like to do is take a rundown of a bunch of different armies and see, you know, exactly how they stack up. Now, I will tell you, though, this is my criteria for it, okay? Um, to me, the best starter army for a new player would be something that has some oomph behind it, rules-wise, so that the Codex will take up for some of their initial mistakes they make as a new player 
the army also has to be fairly simple to learn and master and preferably not too complex to uh, not too complex to make it work well. You don't have to have stacked ability on stacked ability on stacked ability. You know what I mean? Um, if it's pretty straightforward, that is better for a new player. And in a perfect world, it would be not only simple, but it would also be affordable. And, you know, some of you may be laughing now. I preferably feel like a new player probably doesn't want a ton of models to assemble and paint. Now, you know, some of you started with orcs or nids or guard, and I understand that, and you're scoffing right now. But I'm just generally speaking, I feel like most of the 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 best starter army in general would be, you know, a moderate number of models and pretty simple to play. and But not terrible either on the battlefield. So the first one we'll go to is orcs. Um, the green skins are a fun army to play, and they have some really neat walker options, and they get to roll loads and loads of dice. In my experience, new players are often drawn to orcs because of the orcs' craziness in general, and almost everybody loves to roll buckets of dice, especially new players. The main drawback to orcs is that they are generally ran in hordes, and that brings the model count up pretty high, and they are assault-oriented, which may not always be the best choice for a new player. But I do think orcs are, um, well, currently decent on the power curve. I really think most armies in 8th edition are decent. They're good at something. They have their drawbacks. But I, th I think it's pretty much, except for poor Grey Knights. I think Grey Knights are um, below average, but I'm, I'm jumping ahead here. So as far as orcs, um, the model count is the biggest issue. And I honestly would say that I would give them a C. And the reason being is that the positives are they're fun to play and they've got a, a really neat visual style and assaulty armies are always fun to play. But the drawbacks are a ton of models if you play them in the generic way and also assault can be tricky compared to just point and click shooting. So I give orcs a C. Next up, I will be looking at Chaos Space Marines and I often recommend the traders to new players who are on a budget. And the reason for this is, is that I feel that they're one of the best armies where you get the best bang for your buck. And the reason for that is, is all of the marks of Chaos, um, they're very versatile. Chaos Space Marines have monsters, they have vehicles, they have bikes. They're, they have most of what Chaos, I mean, uh, what uh, um, the Vanilla Marines have, most of it. They don't have all the new sweetness, but they have a lot of neat things like Mauler Fiends and Hell Drakes and things that... Um, you know, I mean, regular Space Marines have no monsters at all, and here you've got Demon Princes and all kinds of stuff. So, I think Chaos Space Marines are probably one of the most versatile armies. There's another key thing with this, is that, you know, Space Marines are the number one, regular Space Marines are the number one army, and you can buy them, you know, a bucket of them, literally a five pound bucket of Space Marines for a dollar on eBay. I may be exaggerating, go look it up. Point being is that it's very easy to chaos up a vanilla Space Marine model. So that brings the point the uh, money cost down for Cast Space Marines way low compared to other things because they still benefit from the cheapness of regular Space Marines. They get a good portion of the regular Space Marines options and they have additions like monsters and things like that. So not to mention, you know, they have all of their different Legion abilities and they have all of their different marks of chaos. So you could play the same army, the exact same list, multiple times, and just give them different marks and make them different legions, and I think they're they're used to pretty good effect. And I don't think they're um, too too bad on the battlefield either. And if you're not being a real stickler about the painting them the appropriate color, you know, like oh, I'm I'm gonna be Alpha Legion this this game or whatever, you know, don't don't be a dick about it with new players, you know. Um, Preferably what I would do if I was a new player is I would make up my own chapter colors and then I would give them whatever hell, you know, mark I wanted. And um, so I definitely give Cast Space Marines a B because I think they are a pretty decent option for new players um, because of their model count, their dollar amount and their versatility. My next army is one that is also near and dear to me, and that would be our friends Dark Eldar, or the Drukari, or the Drukari, whatever you want to call them. And my favorite's Drukari. And the Dark Eldar are the epitome of a glass cannon army. 
they have an awesome amount of AP, you know, minus three, minus four, minus two weaponry. And um, they do get, you know, an army-wide feel-no-pain, basically, in most cases. And um, the power from pain just makes them better and better. I really think Dark Eldar pack a serious punch if they're kitted out well. And they've got a huge volume of fire, and they they uh, touch a little bit into the territory of hoarding. Because if you're taking, you know, 60 witches or, bun you know, a bunch of warriors and a raider or whatever... You can shoot a lot, you can assault a lot, you've got a lot of models, and they're pretty durable, especially the homunculus covens. One of my favorite things is chopping up terminators with my incubi. That just feels real good. Now, the problem with Dark Eldar, as this is probably well known, is that they are very, very weak. They're a glass cannon, as I said, and they cannot take much. Um, they can't take much damage, but boy, they can dish it out. So, Dark Eldar traditionally have always been one of the least popular armies because it's very difficult to play them well. You have to be able to strategically dish out more damage than you are taking in with them. And I would not really suggest that at all for a new player. So, I would probably say that they are a D on the uh, grading scale. I would not suggest them for a new player. I'm sure some of you started with Dark Eldar and... Congratulations, but generally speaking, not awesome. Next is Tau. The um, Bluefish people are pretty nicely powered on the power curve. I know they've taken some negatives and some people were bitching and complaining. You know, I do have to do an aside, okay? If you're a whiny bitch-ass player, play Tau. That's just, that's basically the rule. You just, you just play Tau. Because I have never... You know, maybe it's the salt water. Because I was going to say, I've never seen a whinier, bitchier community than the Tau playing community. Now, I'm sure some of you dudes are cool. Some of you guys are stand-up guys and you're not pansies. But, man, the Tau people, when they heard their new codex was coming out and it was not as powerful as the old one, that was just a tsunami of saltiness and tears. But, I digress. I think Tau have a lot of interesting options, and um, they're pretty much unmatched in the amount of high-strength shooting um, they can they can put out. They're like Imperial Guard, but they are they have more potent weapons, and they have ways to buff themselves that Guard doesn't. Um, they don't. I mean, they could be used as a, as a horde, but generally not. You know, you might be talking about um, total for a whole regular army. You might be talking two to five squads of infantry you know it's not too much on a new player as far as assembly and, and, and painting and all that and um so they rely heavily on teamwork though that's one of the big drawbacks you know this unit will buff this unit and this unit does that and the marker lights and the drone controllers and the and the whatnot so um i think that really hurts their score on this scale though because the you know, I said you want something with a little bit of punch, and they have a lot of high-strength weaponry. But they have a bit of complexity in how you need to play them efficiently, and I would give them a C because of that. Kind of middle of the road. Um, and also, if you're a whiny bitch, I'd give it an A+, because they seem to be the whiniest of the whiny. The next one are Space Marines, vanilla generic Space Marines, and I'm just going to lump, you know, the Space Wolves and the Blood Angels and Dark Angels and all that into one because they're basically the same with some minor tweaks. And vanilla Space Marines, I think, are one of the best armies to start with. Not only do they have a crap ton of options, they are the Stormcast of 40k, or rather, I should say, the Stormcast of the Space Marines of AOS. And GW just just loves them to death, and they're definitely the poster boy. And they get all the love with new units. They get all the love with um, being the um, most widely bought. So the models on eBay and elsewhere are very, very cheap. You can also guarantee that any starter set there ever will be will have Space Marines in it, which is much, much cheaper than normal. And, you know, most of it is just a paint scheme color change. You know, you can be, oh, I'm Dark Angels now. Oh, nope, I'm Blood Angels. So if you made your own chapter, just paint them what you want. You know, and then if you decide you don't like Dark Angels, guess what? Dark Angels have 
90% of all the same equipment options and everything that regular Space Marines have, or vice versa. So I would definitely say that for their money, for their model count, and for their output and their versatility, Space Marines have to be one of the best, if not the best, army. And I would I would give them like a B plus or maybe just a straight A because they are very good. Tyranids, boy, they have come out of the gate in 8th edition swinging. They were the... Uh, the red-headed stepchild of 40k for so many editions, and we all felt bad for them, but I have always loved Tyranids. They've had a special place in my heart. And finally, they are pretty decent on the power curve. Um, actually, maybe above average on the power curve. Um, one of the major drawbacks for Tyranids is that they... If you're going to do a typical build, you need a lot of models, just like orcs. You know, a bunch of gaunts, a bunch of gene stealers, that sort of thing. And um, I think that really hurts them on the scale as well, because you don't, you know, as a new player, you may not want to be investing all that time and effort into building a shit ton of models. Um, now, if that's your thing, you know, go ape on it. But um, I'm just feeling like that really hurts them. Now, they're decent on the power curve but they require a lot of models. They do have some really interesting different builds, though. You could go with the monsters, which is what I've always loved. I, I don't even have any painted gaunts. I've got like 100 painted gene stealers. Eh, probably 70 of them are painted. Um, 70 painted gene stealers, but I own 100 total. And um, I have, gosh, I think I have 12 Carnifexes. And I'm not even joking. I believe I have 12. Because when Unbound came out in, I don't know, 6th or 7th edition, when Unbound came out, I enjoyed playing an army of all Carnifexes. All single single model per unit Carnifexes. And it was terrifying for my opponent. And I usually did not win with them. But boy, was it fun to just have these giant monsters running across the board at somebody. It was It was awesome. And um, I stick to that now. I really think Tyranids have a very interesting build with the amount of monsters. Actually, it's got to be the army with the most monsters. I mean, demons have quite a few, but Tyranids have to have the most models that are monsters out of any other army. And I really like that. So if you're doing the monsters, that gets pretty expensive dollar-wise. If you're doing the hordes, it gets pretty expensive time-wise with all those models. So I'm going to give them a C or maybe a C-, minus because... They, they're they a little complicated to play, not as game rules, but just as outside hobby stuff. You know, it's either costly money or costly time. Now, Grey Knights, I do think Grey Knights have fallen from grace in 8th edition. Um, they used to be pretty potent, and I feel like they're very meh in 8th edition. Um, they are a very small model count, which is a huge boon for new players. So, you know, I've got my 1500 point list and I've got 15 models. Like it's, it's, it's an exaggeration, but you get the point. And actually, if you had like two, um, dread knights in there, then you, you're probably an accurate description. Um, but they've got a lot of wounds, their paladins do, and you know, a lot of terminators, a lot of durability. They can smite the hell out of you. And, um, but you know, in previous editions, I would have given them an A for one of the best armies. But this edition, their power curve really drops them down. I'm probably thinking a B for new players. Um, a B or B minus. Just simply because of their power seems very uh, lackluster in this edition. Now, next up is Eldar. Um, Eldar is... Um, basically just elves in space, as most of you know, and they're pretty well-rounded, and they come with a neat mix between sturdy space marines and lethal dark Eldar. They're very fast, and they've got a lot of damage output, and some things are pretty darn durable, like all the Wraithbone stuff. Um, Toughness 6 can be very prominent in the right list, and 3-up saves are extremely common as well, so they've got, now they're Toughness 3, but, um, you know, they're, they're, they have the durability that dark Eldar does not, and they have the speed that Space Marines don't. Not to mention they have access to, you know, Toughness 6 stuff, like Wraithguard. You know, in addition to all of that, they're super potent in Psyker ability, which I kind of forgot to mention in Tyranids, but Eldar are by a factor of 5 with that. They've got a lot of cool spells, and um, they are have 
probably besides Grey Knights, they have the most psychers per army. Um, Eldar are known for their psychers, and that can be pretty interesting. Um, they are deadly, but they're durable. And uh, their vehicles are much more maneuverable than other armies, and they, um, they can move a crap ton and drop off people and shoot and everything else. They're pretty versatile. You know, plus they have jet bikes. You know, I should mention that too because Space Marines don't have jet bikes. That's part of the maneuverability of them. So I would probably say Eldar are a straight B in this edition. They are decently powered. Um, I don't really think they're overpowered like they used to be. But they have a decent model count. They're quite a bit of infantry, but they also have quite a bit of vehicles. And the maneuverability is huge in this game. And that will help any new players, um, you know, if they get into a sticky situation, they could just hop out 30 inches or whatever their ridiculous movement is on those jet bikes. So I would say B for Eldar. I think I will be calling it quits for this week on the best armies for noobs in 8th edition 40k. And a part two will be next week. And I hope you tune in for that. And it just brightens your day and tickles your fancy and delivers your slippers. I think that's a phrase people use. Let's get brutal. And we are back with another installment of Let's Get Brutal with the Pimpcron. And tonight we will be covering, like we always do, um, different aspects of the lore from my free rules, use your own models, RPG light skirmish war game called Brutality Skirmish War Game. Not to be confused with the board game called Brutality. Anyway, what we've been covering is different factions recently from the main rulebook, but tonight I thought it'd be interesting to cover the sun. Now, the sun doesn't sound that interesting, but remember this is not a planet, this is a plane of existence, and it's basically a continent and a smaller continent drifting in water in the middle of nothing. So, But it does resemble a planet, which is interesting. It has air and things like that, it even has clouds, and the different regions have their own weather. And the sun is an interesting thing in this. Um, this is a pocket dimension, and there is a sun in the sky that generates light and heat. But being that this place isn't an actual planet in space, it does not move through the sky, it doesn't set, and it doesn't rise. At dusk, roughly, it begins to dim down to the light of a full moon, and at dawn, it brightens back up to a normal, quote-unquote, sun. But it's always directly above, which makes keeping time kind of hard. Um, you couldn't use a sundial or something like that because the sun never moves. Seasons never change in this place, or if they do, just, just a little bit per region. Um, and with different regions having their own unique and unchanging weather. So I say unchanging, that's not really exactly accurate. But um, there's different places in this, um, this world that are treated very differently. Um, there's one place up in the northeast that just rains torrential downpour at all times. And there's, um, you know, there's deserts and there's um, the ashlands, which is all volcanic and ashy. And there's the psychotropics, which is all, you know, hot and sticky and humid and, and whatnot. I mean, there's a, there is literally a ton of different places in this, this realm. The map that I made is so crazy detailed. It is 8,000 pixels by 8,000 pixels. I forget how long it took me to make like 60 hours, I think it was. It took me like several weeks to make in my free time. It was pretty awesome. Anyway, aside from the sun, I wanted to cover a couple slang terms to know. Narrows are people who try to live well and stay on the straight and narrow, if you get that. Carnals are any cannibalistic tribe or group. Uh, they're just called carnals. Furs are humanoid animal races, so think Thundercats or Ninja Turtles. Plunderbuns. Um, these are just the countless small groups who live only to scavenge and loot. I mean, basically any group you get, you know, yourself and three friends together and suddenly you're a plunderbund. And that is a real word, by the way. I just love that word. And lastly, blanks are normal, non-fur creatures who can't talk or use weapons that are used for food. Like I've covered before, blanks are like, you know, a deer in the woods, a bird, a, a rabbit, whatever. And um, what's interesting about this is, is that this realm seems to be a patchwork of places that Ishtar has either conjured up, but a lot of people assume that she has ripped just sections and of 
universes out like a big chunk like oh uh, let's let's rip a chunk out the size of Poland out of this planet and plop it in this dimension because they are um, they're very defined in where they begin and end from one region to the next I mean everything from their flora and fauna to the grass to the ground to sometimes even gravity and things like that are just crazy different you could literally step over this line and it's an obvious line you know kind of like when you look at a map of the states or the countries or whatever and like oh maryland is pink and delaware is purple and there's an obvious distinct line it literally looks like this if you step over from the ashlands which is gray sooty you know hot um, dry you could step over that line where it meets next to isley or isley it um isley is grassy rolling hills and things like that very few trees so it's very very interesting and that is pretty much all i'm going to cover tonight and we will get back to it next week with um maybe we'll cover the epic of crenell which is what the um the uh, uh the brotherhood of the wayfinders worship crenell was the only dude to ever actually like almost beat ishtar but Alas, he did not, and she beat the shit out of him. So we'll hear about that next time.